Yes. At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? connection desk in the back. Can you wave to everyone, Tammy? Everyone look at the back. She wants to give you free stuff because we want to bribe you to come back and we're unashamed about that. We love it here and we want you to become part of our family and of course grow deeper in the word. A couple other things that we have coming up two weeks from now, we have baby dedication. Yes, we're very excited to get those cute babies on stage. If you have not connected with Cassie Pontine, our children's director. Uh, today is the day to do that. We want to make sure you have that connection so we can get you in that celebration and dedication of your children. Also, uh, less than two weeks from this week, right, we have our prayer and fasting night with all the campuses at Woodside Troy. And we are going to worship we are going to pray, and we are going to have an opportunity for us to be, of course, one church in many locations. So that is a Friday, January 27th. We would love to get you guys there, and we'd love to represent Chesterfield as we worship and we pray together. Uh, so at this moment, before we get into the message, now I want you to stand up again and take a moment and greet someone around you. And this is the question I want you to ask. How long have you been coming to Woodside Chesterfield? for time. Should we just, just let, <laughs> let him go, man. <laughs> Wow, we got a social group, don't we? Okay, now that I see people sitting down, it means I no longer want to interact with people around me. Is that what that's trying to say? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, have you ever heard the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? I see the men speaking louder in that case. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? This is a phrase that I feel like many sports teams, businesses, families, at times we need to live by. There's certain things that we don't want to change. For example, this is one of my pet peeves. I like eggs over easy, maybe in a biscuit. Also, I like eggs scrambled. But don't put ketchup on your eggs. Wait, is that boo in agreeance or boo against me? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> in agreeance, okay. I, I don't know which one. But, but regardless... 
There are things that we just need to leave alone. My wife says this to me a lot. I'm like, let me just mess with it. She's like, please no, please. Just just find someone who knows how to fix things and and have them mess with it. Otherwise, you'll go to the place of no return. And and so I, I understand that myself. Well, I was actually reading this week about Coca-Cola. 1985, Coca-Cola made a decision to make what they called New Coke. Does anyone here remember when Coca-Cola decided to make New Coke? Well, you know where that came from. They were still the number one soda or pop selling company in the world. But when Pepsi was going on their big Pepsi challenge campaign in the 70s and 80s. They started blindly testing people and having them drink Coke and having them drink Pepsi, and everyone was choosing Pepsi. So even though Pepsi was just growing a little and they were on their trail and still Coke was number one, they decided, okay, we need to figure out what's going on. What's going on with this? So they randomly tested their own workers with Coke and Pepsi. And to their surprise, people still chose Pepsi. So then they decided, okay, it's not in the campaign, the marketing campaign. It's actually in our beverage. We need to change this beverage. We need to make it better. And so in 1985, they released this new Coke and it was an absolute disaster. It was terrible. I I was reading, it said they were receiving 5,000 angry calls a day. And by June, the number grew to 8,000. They had to hire an entire extra operating uh, customer service team to answer these calls. And this is even one of the quotes from one of the angry customers. They said, I don't think I would be more upset if you were to burn the flag in our front yard. Are you kidding me? Oh, man. So what they did is they forgot to keep the main thing the main thing. You know what I'm saying? They forgot to stay focused on who they were. And in return, it was, it was disastrous. So it can be with the church. So it can be in our faith communities when we fail to neglect the central reality of the church. When we neglect, when we discount, when we ignore, when we abandon a gospel-centered church. And so as we dig into 1 Timothy and we're talking through this letter from Paul, And we've been discussing now, just this is our second week, church, why bother? That's a great question. Why bother? Why show up? Why get connected? Why serve? Why surrender? Why be generous in giving? Why be generous with time? What's the point? I say it often to people, you can go and watch more talented, more educated Funny, serious, you name it, pastors all day online, on podcasts, on YouTubes. You can go all day, but why do you show up here? 
Why do we come here? And so Paul, he's actually speaking to Timothy, and he's guiding Timothy to stay focused and centered on keeping the main thing the main thing. And if he does that, then the church, it's going to flourish. It's going to thrive. But if Timothy takes his eyes off of truly what is most important, even if the church is growing numerically, it doesn't mean it's healthy. That's something, especially in our American churches, we associate health with facility, with giving, with attendance. But, but what we see here from Paul speaking to Timothy is that's not always the case. That there's a different way. And yes, it could in return offer some of those things, but those things in itself do not show that a faith community is healthy. So Paul's charge to Timothy, it was this, hold fast to the gospel. Timothy, I'm leaving you here to hold fast to the gospel. And his challenge was to stay in that town and to help that church continue to hold fast to the gospel with a pure heart, with a clear conscience, being able to grow in love with one another. And so we have to think with this series and with the entire discussion, there's going to be a lot of moments when we try to challenge. We try to be the devil's advocate in the sense that we say, wait, why? Because until we understand the why, it's going to be hard for us to truly be passionate and understanding of what we are doing and what we're called to do. Why should we hold fast to the gospel? What is the reasons that we see that, that we should hold on to this tightly and never surrender it? And that's why we're going to focus today on three points on why we should hold fast to the gospel. The first one, the first reason why we hold fast to the gospel is so we can have a sincere faith and love may abound. We hold fast so we can have a real faith and there be real love, not superficial, superficial or shallow love, real love, real sincere faith. And so let's go ahead and dig into 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to be starting at verse 3, and we're going to be reading verse through verse 11. So let's go ahead and jump in. This is what it says. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, designed to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or things about which they make confident assertions. 
Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murders, the sexual immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So we see here the very first reason why Paul has sent Timothy to the church of Ephesus is so they can hold tightly to this gospel because they're starting to stray. Because there's starting to be some things in the city and instead of taking Timothy with him, to Macedonia. He says, no, 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 I have to leave you here and, and I'll continue the circuit of churches that I'm going through, but I'm going to leave you here to pastor this church, to establish this church, to create a little structure for this church, because certain persons in this church are teaching different doctrine. And so it's interesting with these certain persons because if they're teaching, if they're, if they're taking time to educate, they're, they're most likely in a leadership role. We're talking about maybe elders, maybe deacons, maybe some of the pastors there. They are in a place where they probably are in a leadership role. And, and in this, what they're doing is they themselves are focused on myths and endless genealogies which promotes speculation. So, so what they're doing is they're so focused in and wrapped up in the conspiracy theory and, and certain things about theology of their day that it's actually leading to more division. Have you guys ever been around someone who they are so biblically sound, they are a great individual, but they tend to take theory or take certain theological understandings and in return, it actually becomes a little more divisive than it should. You know, at this time, they're taking these speculations, these conspiracies, and, and it's deviating people from the truth. And so Paul, this meant so much, he left Timothy and he needed to take care of the issues at hand. So it's interesting. I think about this. And I think and I understand and I look at verse 5 when it talks about that goal that love would actually abound. So he's sending him here to take care of the church because there is people that have different understandings. But yet I just talked about love. And I think about love and how taken out of context this word actually is. Right? He's showing them love in this moment by challenging them and bringing them back to, to actual truth. And he wants them to have what we would call the love that would be from a pure heart, and the love that would come from a clear conscience, and the love that would have a sincere faith. But yet, in the midst of this, they're swerving. I love that word that's used. 
and the idea when I'm thinking of it, and I have a confession to make. All right, can I confess things on stage? I hope I can keep my job. Okay. I was going <laughs> to Cabela's to get my kids a gift. And so I'm, I'm trying to uh, voice text. And when I'm trying to voice text, it ain't working. So then I look down for a moment, and I'm driving, and I start to text while driving, which ain't, I don't suggest. And just for a moment, when I looked down, I looked up, and I was about to rear-end a car. So here I am. I look up. I swerve because I got to get that stuffed uh, alligator for Milo. And, uh, and there I swerve, you know, and your heart's beating, and then you swerve. Hopefully no one's in the other lane. And, and so when I was thinking back of the idea of swerving from truth, it's like when we, when we take our eyes off of the truth, it's so easy to look up and get in a place where there's about to be damage. Like not just a little damage, heavy damage, maybe collateral damage. And so with me, I'm talking maybe a second, a couple seconds. And in that moment, I was about to be in an accident. Maybe some of us have had that situation before. I know you guys are a lot better than me in this. Do not suggest it. But the idea is when we take our eyes off of God, off of his word, it's very easy to veer. It's easy to have our own understanding of what doctrine and the word of God is. And so in this case, when Paul here references the law, and he talks about most likely in the Old Testament, verse 6, of these certain persons that have swerved away, and what they're doing is they're acting in pride, in vain discussion, in arrogance. They're desiring, desiring to be teachers of the law, but yet they do not have understanding. And so I think it's important for us to understand that, that sometimes if we even in our faith, as we continue to dig and, and challenge ourselves, there are even things when we study the word that we need to ask, is this going to be divisive? Is this going to cause tension? You know, because truth does divide. Truth does cause di division in, in its own regard. But there are going to be things that is this really necessary? Is this one of the essential pieces with genealogies and myths and conspiracies? Well, that's what was happening at the time. You know, one of the things I hear often is uh, end times. I get that question often. And, and when I talk to people, they say, hey, is, is this happening tomorrow? You know, I heard this. I, I saw this on TikTok. I'm like, wait a minute. For, you're not getting your information from TikTok, are you? You know, I read this article on Facebook, and, and, they, and they understand that. They say, okay, it, it's happening right now. It's, it's going to, the rapture, and, and we're in the midst of that final season of tribulation. And, and I try to tell them that, you know, so often we can get lost in these speculations. We can get lost in, in these moments where someone feeds an intriguing thought, and it actually could be unhealthy. That's why it's so important to come back to the richness that we find in the Word of God. The richness of His truth and His gospel. Okay, we got some chefs out here, don't we? Have you guys ever cooked a dish 
and forgot one of the main ingredients. Okay, yep, okay. Can someone just throw out to me, what is a dish that you cooked and you forgot one of the key ingredients? Sugar and pumpkin pie. Oh, man, that's nasty. Wow. Sugar needs to be on everything, right? (laughs) What else? Salt. Oh, you use salt instead of sugar. Oh, that's a... A lot of sodium. Okay. What else? What are some other things? Okay. <laughs> All right. That, I don't know how you forget that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, guys. Did I hear macaroni without macaroni? Oh, okay. All right. Yes. Last one. Garlic? Oh, see, that's the thing, okay? I'm not mentioning anything about my wife's cooking because she is absolutely amazing. But I have forgot things before. And guys, it ain't good, okay? Sometimes it can be barely edible. But most of the time when you forget that key ingredient, what happens is the recipe is it's ruined, Right? And so I think that's the same with with how we hold fast to the gospel. And and if we're not careful, we can have a form of religion, a form of church, a form of community, but we can miss the key ingredient, which is always the gospel. It all needs to come back to Christ. Everything that we do. I I was reading uh, about... A pastor, John Stott, this is from the late 20th century, and this is what he said when he reflects on our need to hold fast to the gospel. He says, do this. Here are two practical tests for us to apply to all teaching. The first is the test of faith. Does it come from God, be in agreement with the Bible, or is it the product of human imagination? The second is the test of love. Does it promote unity in the body of Christ? Or if not, since truth itself can divine, is it irresponsibly divisive? Faith means that we receive it from God. Love means that it builds up the church. The ultimate criteria by which to judge any teaching are whether it promotes the glory of God and the good of the church. The doctrine of false teachers did neither. It promoted speculation and controversy instead. It's very important for us to ask those questions. If we are going to delve into certain things that can potentially create division, is is this going to promote love? Or is this going to be more divisive? And, And that's an important thing to remember as we hold to the gospel so that we may abound with love and a sincere faith. Second thing that we can grow from is to hold the gospel so sinners may be saved. To hold the gospel so that sinners may be saved. This is the part of of the text that I love most, that I get most passionate about. And so let's go ahead and dig into verses 12 through 17. Let's put it up here for us to see. I thank him who has given me strength, 
Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I have acted ignorantly in my unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And and this is why I love Paul. Because Paul, in this text, he gets into his own story. When he's talking and reflecting about how he's been entrusted with the gospel, he identifies more specifically what has occurred in his own life. And he talks about how he is not worthy to be the one who's a steward of the gospel. I mean, who am I? I'm the worst. I'm a blasphemer. And so here, one of the most influential men ever to live on this planet is saying, man, I don't deserve this. It was only by his mercy. It was only by his grace And he starts going into this story about himself and what it spurred was thankfulness. You see that it spurred in him that he was so thankful because the God of this universe had appointed him for the service of the gospel. And and I love this because who here in this room, if you've ever accepted Christ, I know there's probably people in this room who have not made that decision yet, but for those of you, maybe you've been a part of the church for a while, a member, maybe you've been attending for a little bit, but if you have a relationship with Christ, have you ever felt in a moment unworthy? I know I have. I know that occasionally I do. Man, that he would give himself for me, that he would die for me, that he would want to use me, to use us. And so Paul, he shares on the grace of our Lord, how it overflowed in him because of Christ Jesus. And then he goes into this trustworthy statement. And he uses this this phrase pretty frequently in his letters. It it probably was a creedal or, or doctrinal statement in the early church. But he says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I mean, that that statement is the essence of the gospel. That Christ Jesus, he came to help the worst of us the broken, the insecure, the sinners, he came to save us. And man, when I hear that, when I read that, when I see that, it's a reminder that this is why we exist. 
to, to be disciples, but also to go and make disciples through the sinners of this world, encouraging them, building them up. And, and, and I love, again, how Paul, he is so spurred to, to speak in celebration and praise. You look at verse 17, and he says this, the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, where there's honor and glory forever and ever, amen. I don't know about you, but when I realize and look about how bad, look at how bad I am and how gracious and good God is, it turns into praise and thankfulness and worship. It, it turns into gratitude. When I understand what the gospel truly is, what the good news is, that God has given grace to save sinners. You know, I had a friend who uh, won a trip to the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, I love him. So he, all caps, texted me, won a trip to the Super Bowl. My first text, take me, please. But he posted online, he, he took selfies, he, he, when he was there, he was showing all the festivities. He couldn't help but tell people because of his, his excitement. And so I think about that, and I think about how he was so bold and excited, and, and maybe it annoyed some of us, right, because he got to go to the Super Bowl, but he wanted to tell the world. So it is with us. If Christ came to save sinners, why would we, through the Great Commission, not be passionate and urgent to go tell the world? Why would we not be bold? Why would we not be intentional? Why would we not care less about what people think about us and care more about their eternity and their soul? But sadly, we can become dangerously comfortable we can become dangerously numb with addiction to comfort and, and not wanting to make people uncomfortable and have radical, a radical lack of urgency. And, and I've heard this illustration maybe 50 times. If we had the cure to cancer, wouldn't we want to give it to the world? but we got the cure to the world, then why do we want to give it to the world? Or why, why are we so subconscious about giving it to the world? And we got to share it. One of the best ways that you can share is your story. To share your story of what Christ has done in your life. Here I was before Jesus, how empty I was, how broken I was, how miserable I was how lost I was, this is what happened. Christ came into my life in this way, and this is where I am today. Share your story. Share your Jesus story and how he changed your life, how he came into your life. Because that will help us hold to the gospel. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm super passionate about evangelism because I, I think in our culture it's something where you know, most people, they want to shy away from it because of where society is. But, but I believe we're at a place where 
we understand that there's going to be levels of persecution. We understand that there'll be levels of, of patronizing from our culture and society. But again, if we care more about people's eternity than how they see us, then, then we're going to give people opportunities. We're going to be obedient to the Great Commission, and, and we're going to share that the gospel is there for sinners to be saved. That is the purpose of it, which then leads to our final statement. So we've talked about how we must hold to the gospel so that true faith and love may abound, how we must hold to the gospel so that sinners might be saved. But the third is perhaps the ultimate reason to hold the, to the gospel so we don't shipwreck our lives. Look at 1 Timothy 1, 18-20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the previous prophecies made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hermonius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so they may learn not to blaspheme. You know, when I decided to go into ministry, my dad told me that as a pastor, you always have a drawer. And I'm like, okay, what what does this mean? He says, there's always a drawer. And in that drawer, there are people who have walked away. And for all the joy and all the celebration of people being saved, of people being discipled, that drawer is all the ones that have been shipwrecked in their faith. And he said, son, you will experience great sorrow and great joy at the exact same moment in ministry. And it will help you understand God more. And I remember going to Bible college, oh, okay, dad, you know. But now I think of the names. Think of the name. Some have passed away. Uh, Some have went to the extreme that they won't even interact with family or friends anymore. I think of those names. And it is heavy. There is great sorrow. So after Paul's testimony, you know, when he comes back to Timothy and he says, hey, we don't want to be shipwrecked in our lives. He, he does something so interesting. He, he shows Timothy that these certain people, they're probably Hermonius and Alexander, and, and he says that they're going to be handed over to Satan. Yeah, is that a pretty confusing statement? Have you guys heard that before? Is he like holding them by the hand and walking them? I'm like, okay, here's Satan. Have a good day. Get out of here. No, it's think about an umbrella. You know, an an umbrella is there to keep you from getting rained on. And they had given in continually, habitually, to false doctrine and and confrontation. And so that umbrella of the church, they had no longer have that privilege. And and so what happens here is they're almost excommunicated or sent away from the church. They no longer have that community because they continue to teach false doctrine. And so he uses these terms, wage the good warfare. It's interesting he uses the term of war. 
I was talking to someone this last week, and, uh, you know, we have, our, have my trusty Bible here. We got Genesis 1, and we have Revelation 21. And in between there is a war zone. Got the first couple chapters that are good, and the last couple chapters are pretty good. But everything in between, according to the Word of God, is warfare. You know, we read in Ephesians 6.12 that we are in a war. That our battle is not just against us in flesh. There's a spiritual battle that is happening. There's a war that's happening in our minds and in our homes. Wanting to lead us astray. Wanting to lead us to a place of shipwreck. I see this a lot in marriage. Destroy the family, everything crumbles. Destroy the home, and, and it's going to cause a ripple effect to children, to grandchildren, to aunts, to uncles. And so in this, Paul, he is charging Timothy. He's encouraging Timothy. Wage the good warfare. And he encourages him. He tries to fortify his faith. And he says, remember the prophecies previously made about you. Remember that you have been set apart for, for ministry. Don't forget your calling. And then he fortifies Timothy by telling them to look at the negative examples. I don't know about you guys, but a lot of the way I learn is through failure. I say it often, failure is our greatest teacher. And then the other thing is watching other people fail. <laughs> watching what other people have done and saying, I think I'm going to do the opposite. And so he gives them the example of, hey, look at the, these individuals and how they're shipwrecked. And, and what he's doing as he says, I'm handing them over to Satan, indicating that these men uh, are no longer going to be part of the Christian community. He's saying to him, don't be so foolish that this couldn't happen to you. He, he's teaching him, hey, it's happened to individuals before. Continue to hold fast to the gospel so it, it doesn't happen to you. Because there's been people in my life who I've said they will never abandon the faith. They will never abandon the gospel. They will never abandon their church family. They'll never abandon their homes. But I've seen it. That's why it's so important for us to hold fast to the gospel to remember that, hey, holding fast to the gospel is his word and the truth that it teaches us. And, and then again, look at the people who have fallen off. What are some of the things that happen in their life to lead them away? What are the, some of the things that, that created almost like a domino effect? You know, I remember when I was ordained, Small country church, New Hartford Christian Church in a small town in middle of nowhere, Illinois. And I remember when they, they set me apart and they, they prayed over me and laid hands on me. I remember in that moment just thinking, God, what am I going to experience in life? What are, what are going to be some of the challenges that I walk through? And so in that commission, I think about Paul and Timothy. He's bringing them back. Remember. Remember your calling. Stay the course. Stay in the fight. 
Because if you keep doing this, it's all going to be worth it. A life of Christ is worth devoting to. And so with Paul and Timothy and this connection, it's very evident that, that Timothy was in a place where he was even worried himself, but he found that encouragement. He found that commitment. And so I, I want to speak this into us as well. When people are struggling in their faith, when you come across individuals or yourself, encourage, build up, speak into. We need encouragement if we're going to continue to journey in this faith. We need each other. Let me pray for us. Father, I think if if your church is going to be what you've called it to be, we must hold fast to your gospel. But Father, it's worth asking if, if we're devoting ourselves to anything other than the gospel. Are we putting our main focus on anything apart from the good news of, of Christ crucified and raised? Is the gospel simply an add-on to our faith or is it the central reality? Father, I pray for everyone in this room, let us hold fast to the grace of you given to us through Christ Jesus. And if anyone has never made that commitment, Father, I pray that today is the day. We love you, God. We thank you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.